All right, if you would, uh, first of all, hope that my voice holds out. Um, uh, I get allergies every year, and this is, uh, in some sense, makes me long for the resurrection when voices won't fail and, and when these kind of things don't dictate. So I'm going to do the best I can uh, to uh, try, try to, <laughs> it's out of my control, actually. So there's no best I can. I'm just going to give you what I got. All right, if you would turn in your Bibles to Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20, and we're going to finish up the book of Zephaniah today. Uh, this is such a beautiful picture of the resurrection, and I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to uh, be in it with you all this morning. And as you're turning there, let me tell you the key truth that I'd love for you to walk away with. And this comes from our journey through the book of Zephaniah so far. So if you haven't been with us, that's, that's the background to this. It's though our sins affect creation, God's people, and the nations, God delights in his resurrected children through the fulfillment of his redemptive promises. Let me say that again. And even though that's true, though our sin affects creation, God's people, and the nations, God delights in his resurrected children through the fulfillment of his redemptive promises. If you would, give your attention to the reading of God's word. This is Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. <clears throat> Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we, we turn to this text, we, we remember the distance that we've come. We heard about how judgment begins in the house of the Lord and how our sin has deeply affected all of creation, which was uh, pointing forward to Romans chapter 8. And we saw how our sin also affects the people around us, right? We, we admit that the church uh, has done some pretty awful things in our, in our society and, and in, our, in our communities. And at times that really causes people to struggle to believe that any of this is true. And we have hurt each other. We go after each other. We major on the minors at times. We, we, we rip and tear. We rend and, and, and break. And it also our sin affects the nations as we, we saw some of the reason that they're going to be judged is because we have failed to do the tasks with which, for which we were created. We were set apart. We have been saved, which is to be a priesthood to the nations. Now, the nations are responsible for their own sins, but it shouldn't be that easy. We should make it hard on them to be judged by virtue of our love and the revealing of the love of God. And we, we, we saw how justice is a big part of that. We saw how righteousness is a big part of that. And even bigger is that we would be described as humble. And remember, God, in the midst of all that declaration of judgment, 
that's going to fall on everything on all sides. He said, come and be hidden in me, which is a, a, a pointing to Zephaniah's name, which means to be hidden of the Lord. And in the midst of all that judgment, there was a sanctuary, and it was brief. In two verses of fall, you need to heed the warning. Remember, we weren't reading a newspaper. This wasn't something that was happening as he spoke it. It was actually going to happen in a number of decades. So he was in grace and mercy saying, don't perish. Don't be destroyed. Live into the newness of life that I have for you in the power of the resurrection. And so uh, in chapter 3, we, we, we saw that as he was recounting some of that, he then began to talk about how his redemption is through his grace alone, which we know to be through faith alone and Christ alone. And so that promise still is hanging in the air as he now turns and says uh, to his people, I am with you, I love you, I delight in you, and there's a way in which you should respond to that. There's a gift for you in all of that. And so what we see is Zephaniah is pointing forward to the power of the resurrection, which we celebrate this Easter Sunday. So the question that I have for you as we begin is what causes you to take delight in others? Most of you know I'm a grandfather, and that means something. It means something different. Uh, as my daughter has said, I've gone soft. And she's right. Even Susan has pointed out that I've gone soft because my granddaughter can get away with an awful lot if she comes to granddad first. Now, the question is going to be, does she figure that out in a way that's going to be beneficial to her over her life? But she talks like Yoda, right? Uh, which for some reason I take great delight in. Now, if she's still doing it when she's 30. We'll talk about that. But, but right now she'll say, smells good, does. Or if she's got Play-Doh, she knows to go to Susan because while I am artistic, I, I don't do well with trying to make stuff. And Susan's got this great gift. If you want to see Play-Doh turn into a cat, and I mean a real one, Susan's got the gift. So she'll go to Susan and say, make it kitty. Uh, and I take great delight in that. She is a joy. When she wakes up in the morning, uh, if we go, it's one of my favorite things is to be the first one to go in the room. In fact, Susan's like, don't you go in there before she's supposed to get away. But I, I, I won't, selfishly, I want to hear her say these words. Surprise! <laughs> now think about that for a second. Would that we would greet each day in the same way? Because every day is a gift from the Lord, right? Yes, it's limited, and there's, there's, not, there's not an eternity of days for us before we are transformed in the fullness of the resurrection. But would that we would be able to take that kind of delight in the things of the Lord. And notice, we usually take delight in things that aren't all that spectacular. Now, you may say, well, now your granddaughter's spectacular, and I would agree with you. But, but it's not the most spectacular of things. It just brings joy. So I don't, I don't take joy in Scarlet because... You know, she accomplishes certain basic things. I just take great joy in her delight and her awe at the lunge she is. Uh, and what a, what a glorious thing that is. The Lord, in the same way, takes delight in us. Right? Usually you don't take delight. Delight's not usually what we say when someone uh, accomplishes some grand task or is perfect. It, it is joyous. But more delight is reserved for the, the things that just create awe and wonder. And so the Lord takes delight in us, his people, right? Remember, he's, he's, he created the universe. Like, what, I've said this before. How are you going to impress the guy who made the platypus? 
How are you going to impress the guy that can enjoy an event horizon in ways that we can't yet do? Right? Like he created it all. What are we going to bring to him that's going to cause him to go, you know, I I never thought of that. That's new. But even though he's done all that, he takes great pleasure in seeing us, his people, work out his promises in real time. To pursue reconciliation, to, to, to be generous to one another, to be humble and pursue things being made right that have been broken. He takes great joy in that. And yes, he could step in and just do it himself, right? Like this is the whole conundrum of if God is sovereign, why don't you just fix it? Because he delights in seeing us participate in the thing that he's invited us into. He takes delight in the ways in which we, we try to work that out and sometimes don't actually make it. Like he actually takes delight in our attempts. Would that we would believe that. And this is not to let us off any hook. I, he does not take delight in our sin. So don't think I'm saying that in any way, shape, or form. Because that separates us from him and that stuff's deadly. It'll kill you. We've already heard that from Zephaniah uh, 1, 2, and the beginning of chapter 3. So he doesn't delight like some grandfather in our being foolish, but he does delight in us trying to love one another, which oftentimes is, is difficult and messy. And so I hope that what we will hear in this, this text is the delight of God and that it would cause us to respond in a certain way. So notice how Zephaniah starts. He says to the people, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. So essentially he's saying to two generations, remember the daughter of Zion is the next generation to Israel, which is the present generation. He's bringing them into phase and saying there will be some redeemed from both generations, multiple generations. And he's calling them to worship. Like if if we really understood what we are saved from, What would it sound like in here when we sing the song, Rising Sun? Right, what would it sound like in here? And that may not be your favorite song. Now it was beautiful this morning, and and Kelsey, Kelsey did an amazing job. But what would it sound like if we took serious what we're being saved from? If we understood that the judgment that hung over our heads for the sins that we've committed, for the awful things that we've done, for the ways in which we have forsaken God and all who bear his image, for the injustices, for the oppression, for all the things that we've done, not that he just looks over those things, but we can be redeemed out of those things to become ambassadors of reconciliation. What would a worship service that took that seriously sound like? You notice he said, shout. Now, you... For those of you who wonder about the regulative principle, well, shouting is part of the regulative principle. We just don't do it very often unless Trey Young is bringing the Hawks back to win the play-in game against the Cavaliers. In fact, I th- I'm pretty sure that's why Stuckert thought I lost my voice as I was screaming about Trey Young and the Hawks. But I, that wasn't it. Uh, it's allergies. Although I wanted to scream. But, but think about it. We don't shout much around here. What would actually cause us to shout in joy in worship? And if we are unimpressed with what Christ has done for us in the resurrection, there ain't more impressive things coming. You don't get more impressive than somebody loving you enough to die for you. 
and rise from the grave and give you that even though you don't deserve it one whit. So we are called to, to worship in acknowledgement, right? And, and, and we would do well. I, I get it. We're Presbyterians, and I get it that we're a little more on the introverted side. And I, I get it we're worried about becoming too happy-clappy. Uh, <laughs> I think we're safe on that end. But what would it look like if, if, if our acknowledgement, as we come into worship, like we, we, we got how, how deeply the Father loves us, and what we've been saved from, given all that we've done. Instead of hanging our heads and, and worrying that God may, may focus on you and incinerate you. But instead acknowledging that, no, he takes delight in you. You showed up one more time. For those of you who are visiting with us, we're glad you're here. What a wonderful gift it is for the Lord to be able to see you among his people. He takes delight in that. And so we should too. Our worship should be informed by the, the beauty and the gift of the gospel. And he goes on to say, here's why. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's taken them away. The due judgment that was against every single one of us. No one of us can be sanctimonious toward any other. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have been selfish and arrogant and, and failed to be humble and failed to love other people, failed to speak a word in due season, right? Nothing that these people did, if you go back and read uh, the, the, the verses previous, there's nothing that the people of Israel do other than surrender in humility and say we cannot save ourselves and we have sinned. So he has taken away these just judgments. Even more, he's cleared away your enemies, Right? And he's not talking about removing Tom Brady from the NFC South. He's talking about the great enemies of sin and death. The enemies that, that are far more vicious and far more pursuant and far more adamant that you be destroyed than any earthly person, power, or even principality, except in the hands of sin and death. He has removed those things. This is why this is a resurrection text in part. We can walk in newness of life because he's taken these things away and makes us new in Jesus. What a gift. That should cause us to break out in a little bit of praise. You're going to get an opportunity. We're going to baptize Eliza Oakey later in the service. I'm just giving you a heads up. I want you to be prepping. Right? Don't, don't, don't not listen to the rest of the sermon, but I want you ready. She's coming by profession of faith. How did heaven respond? A party broke out. Now, you may say, I don't know about parties in heaven. They, they have chicken wings or they have good, good drinks up there. Yeah, the best. Best you've ever seen. So we ought to, as a church, one of the, the children that has been entrusted to us wants to join with us in this faith. That should cause us to break out a little bit of praise. So I'm giving you advance notice. When it happens, when she steps out of this metal bucket that we've got because we're going to pour I want to see something. I want to see something closer to what we're hearing here. And, and maybe somebody might believe we've been resurrected. And it goes on. Not only has he removed the things that were killing us, destroying us, he has stepped into our midst. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Is that not of value to us? 
How, how much of our society is so tangled up with anxiety and fear? Some of it justifiably so. Don't get me wrong. I don't perceive the world to be getting better in many respects. We've got a lot of problems. And, and, and we don't have a whole bunch of solutions. And we're more divided than we've ever been. It's the most anxious and broken a society anybody has recorded or seen. And yet we're more affluent than we've ever been, which is interesting. The Bible has something to say about that. So the king is in our midst so that we don't have to fear evil. That doesn't make us arrogant. That should humble us. That should cause us to praise and worship that the king of the universe would choose to be with us, his people. And he promised every time you gather together to worship, I am there, lest in faith comes in. He is at work in our midst. And he goes on to say, on that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Think about how that would, would ring in their ears after they've heard about judgment for some period of time and the severity of it. And to hear that, no, the one who can save you is in your midst and he's going to save you and redeem you by his grace alone. What mystery is this? How can we not behold this wondrous mystery that the, the Lord is in our midst, that he is mighty and he will save, he will redeem us. Now, that doesn't let us off the hook. That doesn't mean we can live any way we want to. In fact, notice he said, don't let your hands grow weak. Don't grow weary in doing good. What kind of good? The kind of good that displays God's character in the world, righteousness. We are, as we heard last week, to be a cruciform people. We're to look like Jesus, who is gentle and lowly and always mindful of the least of these around him. Remember, for them, justice was to, if you can't love the least of these, you can't love the harder ones, which is those who have a whole bunch and don't think they need you or Jesus. And he goes on to say, he will rejoice over you. What? The Lord our God rejoices over us? Based on what? I don't know what you did this week. But if you were to review it, how much of it would you say, ah, yeah, I think, I think he really rejoiced over this one. That was pretty stellar. I read my Bible like three days in a row. Or I remembered to pray for somebody. It doesn't feel like a lot of times based on just life and its pace and its tyranny and it's, and it's the things that it requires of us. It can feel like there ain't much for him to rejoice over. Well, he, what he rejoices over is you showed back up. You had the courage to come back into his midst one more time. Praise be to God. You had the courage to run the risk of being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He rejoices over that. He rejoices of the gathering of his children together. And we're going to see that further. And it says he rejoices with gladness. He is glad to be with us. What a joy that is. You ever been with somebody and you knew they didn't want to be with you? You ever talk to somebody and you can tell they're getting out of the conversation as fast as they can? You know the technique. You start looking into the middle distance as the other person's talking. They can feel it. And then you start kind of looking around for who's going to get you out of the conversation. It's a preacher trick. We do it all the time. I've given it away, so now I'm going to stay locked in. I'm a hypocrite. 
But you know, you know the feeling of, of somebody not really wanting to be with you uh, for whatever the reason may be. But the Lord takes, you, but you also know what it feels like when somebody is just glad to be with you. They're not looking at their watch. They're not looking at their phone. They're not worried about how long you're going to be together. They just take joy in whatever time they got with you. And what a gift that is. Think about what that does to your heart and how that affirms you. This is the Lord our God every time he is with us. This is the kind of joy he takes. And what would it look like if we believed that, took that seriously, right? And, and treated other people in the same way. We're cognizant of how we are coming across to other people as God's resurrected ambassadors of reconciliation. And even more, he says, he will exalt over you with loud singing. <laughs> Every once in a while, we get a little loud in here. I think it's maybe a song that hits, it slaps or whatever the kids say these days. And it really kind of resonates. But the Lord is always joyous and exulting and loud in his singing over us. Never would we walk by him singing over us and wonder if he loved us. Never would we walk by and wonder if, if he was not taking joy in us. We would not have to question. And what a gift that is. This is, this is the, the, the kind of thing that we need to remember on a regular basis, not just at Easter. But we need to find a way to keep ourselves reminded of the, of the Lord's great joy in us, his people. Now, he's not worshiping us. Don't get that tangled up. It's different. It's like, again, it's like a parent or a grandparent taking great delight in their children and the attempts of their children to figure this world out and to live as he's called us to live. And listen to what he says. He says, listen, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival. These are the people, and you could connect this to the Sermon on the Mount, but these are the folks who look around and say something ain't right. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. These are the folks who look around and say, we are divided. We, 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 need to be, we, we need to care about reconciliation. We need to care about justice. These are the folks who mourn for things not being set right and feel the weight of it. And they would long for the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. For them, there were seasons in which they were unable to practice the Passover. And it was, it was devastating to them. It, it, was, it was painful to them to not be able to enjoy the Passover. And so, so those who mourn for the festival, the Lord's going to gather them for the party because he's going to be singing over them. There'll be gladness and joy and the best wine and the best food and the best music. And he says, so that you will no longer suffer, feel beat up. You will no longer feel like you don't matter. He goes on, behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. Not a good thing to be an oppressor. Especially not if God is who he says he is. But the main oppressors that we have are sin and death. And it's not just spiritual. There will be a judgment for those who serve sin and death as physical oppressors. Don't get me wrong. But the main ones that land on us and that wear us out and that drain us is sin and death. It's, it's that you who look at your life and go, I've been struggling with the same thing for 25 years. Is this ever going to get any better? Yes. You keep struggling, you keep fighting, the Lord will take delight in that and he will gather you in and there will be rest for you someday. And amen. 
And he goes on to say, I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Consider from the New Testament when, when Jesus talks about that banquet and all the rich folks say, hey, we're too busy to come. He said, I didn't really invite y'all anyway. Go out into the highways and the byways and bring in those who cannot pay back what I'm going to give them. The lame, the broken, the outcast. And see, the problem is sometimes I think we, we fail to realize how lame and broken we are. We think we're, we're the people who have it kind of put together. We don't. We don't. We just have the better picket fence in front. We hide it better than some other folks. So praise be to God that he will gather in all those at the margins. You are not cut off because of whatever your infirmity may be, physical, mental, spiritual, or otherwise. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you can admit your need for Jesus as Savior, you will be gathered in. And the beauty and the power of the resurrection. And the world will take note. He says, at that time, I will bring you in and after, at, at that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This points forward to Revelation 7 and Revelation 21. The great gathering of God's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That should mean something to us. When, when Jesus will himself wipe away every tear and make all things new. This is the beauty of the resurrection and what it points forward to. This is what our God longs for for us. This is what he takes joy in. He exalts over us. He takes delight in seeing us, his children, fight toward him, fight toward each other. It's messy. It's not easy, right? Sometimes it takes time. We want everything to happen very quickly, and it's not quite that easy. But the Lord takes great to bear his image, to live out his righteous character, which, remember, is not severe. Right? What, does it, what does it look like to be steadfast in love? What does that imply? What does it mean to be long-suffering? How many of us have been hurt and, and, and nearly broken by the failure of others to long-suffer with us? But the failure of others to be steadfast in love toward us. Yet this is not the Lord. And praise be to God that he, he forgives far more than even he judges. That, that, that he longs to see the family get bigger and bigger. This is the delight of the Lord. Would that we would feel his delight. Would that we would live in and through and out of his delight Instead of fear of retribution, instead of fear of, of the guillotine falling for every sin that we commit, may we run to the throne of grace, not cheaply, recognizing, yes, you must change. But the power of change is in you because of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit that indwells you because of Christ in whom you are in union with. Listen to what Ian Duguid says about this passage. He says, Zephaniah paints a very different portrait of God, showing him to us as a father who absolutely delights in his children. He doesn't delight in us because we are resourceful. Right? Notice, there was no commendation of their behavior in the book of Zephaniah. None. 
Not the kind of commendation that we would look for. So he doesn't take delight because they're resourceful, strong, and holy. On the contrary, throughout our earthly lives, we continue to be weak and wandering, feeble and failing. We still have much to sorrow and mourn over in our lives. Yet God delights in his children because they are his, purchased through his redeeming love and cleansed through the sacrificial blood of his son. So how does knowing that God delights in you as his resurrected child affect how you live? How might it begin to affect how you live? As we say around here all the time, I'm not asking you to add anything new to your life. I'm asking you to change your perspective on what you currently have. And to be able to see it with wonder and awe. And how might the Lord be present in it more than you realized? And even more important, how should this affect how we worship? How should this affect how we sing, how we greet one another, how we interact with each other? What would it look like for us who take delight in each other? This is not just for us. Remember, the, the, the Tower of Babel was part of the story last week. The curse and the cause is being revoked in, in the power of God's redemption. So we don't want to return to Babel. We don't want to say, okay, let, let, let's do this, but just for us. Just for our kind of people. These are my people. I like these folks. But what would it look like for us to be hospitable and long for folks to be able to taste and see that the Lord takes delight in them too? And so Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20 teaches us that though our sins affect creation, God's people, and the nations, God delights in his resurrected children through the fulfillment of his redemptive promises.